from GreenBiz Group. Welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower here in Atlanta, Georgia, scene of Circularity 22 this week. On this week's edition, the sights and sounds of Circularity 22, John Warner on innovation at the molecular level, the winners of our circular startup competition, and what happens when you wrap a baby in cellophane? Yep, it's been that kind of week, this week on 350. It's May 20, 2022. Welcome to another episode of Green Biz 350. So glad to have you with us. And joining me from here in the Willard Conference Room at the Intercontinental Buckhead in Atlanta is uh, uh, my fellow tired journalist and partner, uh, Heather Clancy. Hey, Heather. Hello, Joel. How are you? Well, as I sort of said, it's a, uh, you know, this is always this joyous, exhausted, satisfying time of the conference. It's, it's just ended and um, we're celebrating uh, yet another really good event and um, uh, and tired from the uh, not just the event, but all the socializing and after parties and dinners and everything that goes along with that. And, and also just trying to keep up with email and everything else that we all do in life. But um, it was a really great week. It was a great week. I was very happy with the sessions that I was moderating and um, of course also the ones that I went to. I, I actually, at this event, unlike many others, I spent more time in the rooms actually listening and participating and being an audience member, which is very rewarding. Um, I have some, I have at least three story ideas, which is, is um, gratifying. I just, I mean, I mean, there's tons more here as well, but I had a great week very happy with um, just the level of dialogue and excitement. It feels like, you know, we're at a tipping point from my perspective. I, I'm the little digi geek, right, that, that thinks about technology and how it enables this stuff. And I feel like we are at a place where we're moving from some pilots into actual deployments of these things. So it's, it's exciting and energizing and also exhausting. <laughs> Right, and in a few minutes we'll hear from John Schmea, the uh, uh, our colleague here at GreenBiz, who uh, chairs oversees uh, this event, and uh, and and hear some of his thoughts on it. Uh, I, I one of the things that I think is important to understand, if you haven't been part of of this particular ecosystem, is that. Um, this was our second in-person circularity event. Uh, we, the first one was 2019, and then you may have read we had this uh, this little health thing that went on for uh, that caused our two 20 and 21 events to go virtual. And this is the first time coming back. And in in that 20, that first event in 2019, which was in in Minneapolis, there was this moment at the very beginning um, when people walked in and sat down in this packed ballroom. We had 650 people. We'd planned for 500, got 650, and people. We're just looking around and saying, oh, my God, look at us. I had no idea there was that we, we were this community. And it was a really electric moment. And and I, and I felt that again after the two-year hiatus, uh, people coming here. We had almost 1,000 people this year. Did People were so excited, not just to be at a conference, but to be together in this. Uh, because the, what, what's happened here is that the circular economy in, in North America 
hadn't had a home, uh, an event, uh, a really place to bring people together, and this has become that. And it was and it was palpable. The audience was just so appreciative of that. Oh, and yes, we had some good content and some fun times as well. Yeah, I have a, I have just have a thought on the audience because that was something that struck me as well. And what what is really intriguing about the audience is it's not just you know people with sustainability in their title. It's actually those are probably the, the far and few between. Uh, these are supply chain experts and, and manufacturing experts, designers. And that, that to me is just that, that because this is a place really where the entire organization has to participate. And, and I love having all those other roles here. And I think that that was also sort of what was, re- people were like, hey, oh, you're doing this too. I mean, like, oh, you felt like your kindred spirit. And, and that to me was really exciting. And one of the reasons I think Circular has risen so high, certainly within our organization, and why we launched this conference in the first place is that I'm thinking back, yeah, 30 plus years of all the different memes and frameworks and trends and and buzzwords and 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 everything else that's come along from from pollution prevention all the way through restorative and regenerative. Circular is really the first one that is a team sport. I mean, I mean that in the sense of that you need to be looking at the entire system, uh, the value changer chain, or maybe it's a value loop now. Uh, and, and we need to be thinking about those. And it means you need a lot more people in the room. And to your point, yeah, the people who come, these are not the people who come to uh, some of our other events because they're, they're designers and they're procurement people and they're sourcing people and they're R&D people and they're distribution and even sales and marketing because you're now maybe not selling something anymore, but you're selling a subscription instead of a physical object, you know, so that's, that was really fun. And, uh, I, and yeah, just getting that ecosystem in the room. Yeah. And one of the things that I really appreciate and I think we didn't have a lot of it at this this event, but I think we're going to have more of it because it went over very well. I think I saw in your one of your main stage sessions, Joel, that the willingness to talk about like where people messed up, um, what we've did that didn't work, the the sharing of the best practices, the the willingness to really get into the details because we know we need to accelerate things and people are realizing that they need to share the mistakes just as much as the successes, actually probably more so, right? Like don't do this or do this. Maybe you want maybe you want to, to fail a bunch of times, like just get out there and fail a bunch of times because you can figure out what's going on. So I love the, that was one of my favorite sessions um, and you probably want to reflect on it more, but it just where, where you had people that were just totally willing to lay it out there and be open about, um, you know, their, their foibles. And that's hard to do because people love to get on stage and talk about what they succeeded at and what, you know, the, the big win and the success and the goal and all that, the commitment. And to get, uh, in this case, it was uh, Levi Strauss and company. Uh, it was uh, L'Oreal and the office furniture products company, Human Scale, uh, talking about things that they, it, the session was called Tried, Failed, Learned. And, you know, things that they did that didn't quite work on the road to circularity, and um, but from which they learned and were able to then adjust and, and, and try something else. And that's, I mean, that's the way the world works. And, tr- and it's certainly in the way innovation works, uh, uh, you know, there's this old adage in Silicon Valley that, that if your business ends up looking like your business plan, you may have done something wrong because you weren't uh, attuned to uh, changing, uh, adapted, uh, being adaptive to changing circumstances, new market information, things like that. And 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 that's certainly what happens here. You you 
create something, expect consumers or customers to respond in a certain way in terms of what they're going to do with it and how they're going to use it, how you're going to get it back. And the real world, you know, has other plans. And um, and so then what do you do? Do you scrap it or do you find a different way to do that? And I think that there's, a, as you said, Heather, there's a lot of that. Every company, I would imagine, has some version of that and not just in circularity, but we're, since that's the topic here. And that's how we all learn from one another and saying, wow, that's really helpful. I was thinking about doing that and now I don't need to or I'll try something else. So yeah, lots and lots and lots and lots to reflect on. And then over the next uh, few minutes, uh, Heather's queued up some uh, some great segments from the main stage, and we're going to talk about some other stories that we ran this week from the event. So, hey, let's get into it. Well, any conversation about Circularity 22 has to begin with John Schmea, uh, Vice President and Analyst uh, on all things Circularity and the impresario behind this week's event. Uh, John joins me now. Hey, John. Good morning. How's it going? It's going good. How are you uh, holding up? Uh, this is your first rodeo as the as the uh, main dude on the stage of an event, uh, at least here at Greenbiz. How was that? Uh, you know, I'm holding up okay. It's uh, it's a combination of as tired as I've ever been, but also like as energized as I've ever been. It's a weird feeling. <laughs> I know it well. Yeah. So, um, you know, is, you don't have a lot of distance yet because it just you know this thing is just barely over. But um, what, what was your sense of of the the mood, the the vibe, the audience in terms of where they are and how how they felt about being here? Yeah, I had a couple key takeaways. First, it seems like everybody was just excited to be back with this community. You know, we we were unfortunate enough to only have one in-person circularity uh, and, and it felt like there was all this momentum going and then it, it abruptly went virtual. Um, so everybody seemed really energized to be here. And sort of on the flip side of that, I think people are asking for more, right? They, they want more progress. They want more results. They want to hear more about sort of the, the challenges. Um, so there was, this, there was this strange feeling of excitement to be back, excited to hear what everybody's working on, but also like we just need to move faster, I think. We'll, we'll talk about more. Or what specifically? Are there topics? Are there companies that they wish were here? Yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's a little of both. One, one on topics is you know, a lot of times people at these conferences will talk about their recycling efforts. And that's great because it contributes to the circular economy. We can't do it without recycling, but people want to hear more about remanufacture, reuse, uh, repair, things like that. And so, you know, I think there's a combination of broadening the topics and also broadening the audience. Uh, We know there's a lot more of that going on in, in heavy machinery, durable goods, building products. Um, so, you know, they're asking for both an expansion in the topics and the, the audience, I think. Yeah, one of the things uh, I heard of appreciation was that, uh, well, you're, you're a chemist by background, John, and, and there we had John Warner, the renowned uh, father or co-father, I think, of, of green chemistry, always such an amazing presence to uh, talk about his just great insights. And you did an hour-long interview with him that was, I, I thought, uh, really terrific. And we're going to, I think, talk a little bit more about John when Heather and I get together in a few minutes. Um, and that whole, you know, deeper dive into the, the, the molecular level almost, I think, is, is one of the places that the, the, 
the community, the topic is ready to go now because we've said to get circular, we get that, and there's maybe some business model or some infrastructure things, but really the design of products, that seems like a, a, a good direction to keep heading. Yeah, I think, I think folks from, from all of these companies are thinking about that. How do, we, how do we get good materials into products so that we want to keep them at their highest, best use? How do we, how do we make sure that things are, are safe and circular? Uh, and there was a lot of good discussion about that this week. Uh, I think chemistry came out in more than, than just those couple of chemistry panels I, I organized, and, and that's exciting. Um, and, you know, I think this is such a systems approach, right? We got to think all the way upstream and all the way downstream to really get to circularity. And, you know, it, for in large part, we don't have a ton of the people that are all the way upstream here. We've got a few, uh, but probably not enough. So we really want to loop them into the conversation too. So you're talking about uh, mining and forestry uh, and, and other extractive industries or the, or the basic manufacturing of steel and aluminum and concrete. Is that what you're talking about or am I missing? Uh, yes. <laughs> Mining, forestry, the chemicals companies, we've got, you know, a couple of them here uh, represented. But really, you know, everything upstream of the plastics manufacturers is really is really key to this, right? Because if they're not doing things right, uh, and if we're not making their jobs easier, I think we're going to get stuck at, at some point. Yeah, and we start talking about plastics, but of course, plastics are a hundred different plastics and different inputs and different uses and different strengths and everything else. So yeah, we need to get get granular. So uh, what surprised you? I mean, you put together this this year's program. Uh, what what surprised you that maybe you didn't see coming? That's such a good question. I first of all, I was surprised by how many people we saw here that aren't sort of your run of the mill sustainability professionals, right? We saw. We saw folks from the innovation teams at their companies. We saw folks from product design that, you know, may have a dotted line to sustainability, but it's not really their role. Um, that was really surprising to me and, and really exciting, frankly. As we work to build this conference and also build this work at GreenBiz, so our circularity network that we're rolling out, for example, we want to get all those people that aren't directly working on circular economy involved in the discussion so they know what 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 it is and what it's about and how they should be thinking about it. Yeah, I looked at the list of uh, nearly a thousand people uh, and I knew about 10% of them, uh, which is a beautiful thing, to your point, that there's this uh, whole whole new people. Well, you, you brought up this uh, circular economy network that we're uh, launching. Uh, tell us a little bit more for people who weren't at the event. Yeah, so we're really trying to model uh, our Green Biz Executive Network. We're bringing in uh, corporate practitioners that have responsibility over circularity at their companies, whether that be circular strategy or on the ground tactical work uh, to join a peer-to-peer network where we'll be having you know regular zoom meetings regular email conversations with them as well as a couple in-person meetings a year and you know what we're trying to do right now is build sort of a cohort of 15 to 20 uh, folks that we can bring in for a couple preliminary meetings to just sort of feel out how, what that looks like for a circularity network um, you know, one of the challenges there is circularity looks a lot different depending on where you, you know, where you are in, in the industry, in any industry. Um, and so what we want to make sure we're adding is value that 
that people are learning from people from outside of their own sectors, right? That's, that's where I always learned the most when I was a practitioner, when I heard somebody from, from an apparel company say something, it, it often you know, rung that bell in my head like, oh, that's, that's an interesting way to think about this problem that I have that's not the same but is related. Uh, so we're really just trying to bring people together to have those in-depth conversations about specific topics that they're struggling with. So you're putting together, I think you said 10 or 15 companies. Um, I know I talked to several here that are, that are interested, but what kind of companies, uh, do they have to be big companies or, or can any company join? What, what's the plan here? Yeah, out of the gate, we're mostly targeting, you know, these companies in the, in the 1 billion annual revenue and up range. We're really looking for, you know, practitioners, um, not, not service providers initially, because really, we really want these companies to be able to get in a room and, and talk freely uh, and not be sold to. Um, there's a place for that, but I, I don't think a, a, a network is a place for that, a peer-to-peer -peer network. So we want to we wanna bring in these bigger companies uh, from tech, apparel, building products all over the, the, you know, the sectors um, and really just let them, let them talk yeah. and learn from each other. Yeah, that's worked so well with the executive network for the past 12 years. I'm excited for this. So, I mean, the, I mean, the paint is barely dry on Circularity 21, but uh, 22. But but I'm I'm guessing that you're already thinking about uh, Circularity 23 since you will be building that. That's June 5th through 7th in Seattle on next year. Uh, what what's a thought or two that might be different or that you're excited about uh, as you? This will be your first full cycle on at GreenBiz, uh, you know, really building it from scratch. Uh, what's exciting you about that opportunity? I, I think first and foremost, uh, the, 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 the venue we're going to be in will allow us to have a much bigger audience. And so we're really hoping to grow, the, grow this space uh, over the next year and bring in a lot more people from a lot more companies and a lot more roles. Uh, so that's one thing I'm really excited about. Second, we're, we're already thinking about different tracks that can can attract those folks, right? So like, do we have a buildings track? Do we have a track, you know, devoted to tech uh, and critical minerals, things like that, that are, that are important. Um, and then also, you know, we're, we're already thinking about our host committee and who's gonna help us plan that event locally. Uh, we've got a great partnership with the city of, of Seattle and they're gonna bring in the county and the state. And we've got some great uh, company partners there like, like Amazon and REI that I'm sure will be part of that. And so, you know, we're just really excited to start thinking about how this can evolve uh, now that we'll have you know, next year will be will be the tipping point where we have more in-person events than virtual events, uh, and so that's that's really exciting for us to think about how this can grow uh, over the next year. Well, first things first, uh, go back to uh, St. Paul and uh, get some sleep and reconnect with your family. It's been an amazing week. You've done a fabulous job. Um, so congratulations on that, and uh, and yeah, more to come. Thanks, Joel. I appreciate it. John Schmea is uh, the Vice President and Analyst for All Things Circular here at GreenBiz and the impresario behind Circularity 22. Well, let's turn now to some of the editorial coverage that our team put together for based on this week and there'll be a lot more coming up next week but we did manage to get a few stories up here and, and Heather you've you've picked some so uh, tell us what you got yeah so um, we're going with the early right the ones that the things that happen early these are not necessarily the all the all-inclusive uh, coverage but uh, I'm gonna start us off with a, a piece that uh, our faithful contributor Holly Seekin did on one of the sessions that was early on um, 
basically talking about how to turn ambition into action, and specifically in the plastics, um, the global plastics crisis. Um, and I loved what she did because there, this this particular session actually didn't have any major brands on it. Um, the, the the individuals participating were uh, Keith Harrison, CEO of the Recycling Partnership. Taylor, Taylor Madeline, um, I think that's how, how her last name is pronounced. She is with the University of Georgia, where they're working on this interesting um, circularity assessment protocol. And then Kieran Smith, um, CEO and co-founder of Mr. Green Africa, which is an organization in in Africa, <laughs> but um, that they focus on the informal segment of the, the the plastics economy, which which actually got a fair amount of attention here this week. Um, just how do you how do you reward, how do you um, account for the individuals that are picking up plastic um, materials of all sorts and bringing it in for recycling and, and sort of enabling that first step of collection um, in, in emerging con con economies? The informal economy is a term used colloquially to, to describe what uh, often described as, as waste pickers, the people, you know, mostly in developing countries, although we have them uh, here in uh, North America who, who go through recycling bins in, in their case, but in, in usually it's, it's uh, landfills to pick out the valuable thing, turn those into market, bring those back to, to market and earn a living um, doing that. And, uh, and that's uh, becoming an interesting part of, of the circular economy because uh, how else are you going to get this stuff back? Yeah. And I think, um, I'll, I'll bring up one point, then I want to hear what you think about that, thought about that particular panel. Um, but one thing that really struck me was the work that, that Taylor's team was doing at the University of Georgia. There was this, this circularity assessment protocol and the tools that they're working on are really um, going into, uh, you know, tracking the, the debris and then it was interesting because they were talking about citizen science and how do you look at how do you look at the places of leakage and you really do need to look at the places of leakage very locally like and in and, and this is not just a you know a far off region that we're talking about we're talking about places in the Mississippi River basin and so there there's just really interesting um, work going on to enable more informed decision making and that that sort of digital the the, the rise of some of these digital platforms um one of the, the keynote that i did was also focused on that topic um bank you a company that is is really i mean and to go back to the informal um collection you know the, the waste pickers if you will you know these individuals now have a, an app that where they can just simply use a text message to tell the local recycling center, how much they've they've collected. Here it is, you know, as they as they make the transaction, it's recorded, and then that information goes all the way up to the brand. In this case, um, BenQ was was talking about an application they're doing with Coca Cola in South Africa with thousands of um, individuals. So, you know, I just was fascinated. Like, for, so for me, one of the the sort of tippings tipping points in, is now that we do have some of these tools that are actually on the ground working. Um, and providing really valuable information across the supply chain um, that will allow us to take action. So, to you, Joel. Yeah, and I think what, what what's really fascinating about this panel is that you know we talk about the products and you know the physical good and where it goes and how it's made and how we get it back and all that. But you know, there's this whole infrastructure and that that's really needed behind the scenes. And and sometimes those are the you know people at the base of the pyramid, and sometimes they're uh, they're you know new businesses within communities and 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 often you know how do we 
not just get stuff back, how do we create jobs? How do we keep track of that? How do we send signals back to the, the brands? Uh, this is uh, so the nitty gritty aspect of circular economy that I, I love that we talk about this here because these are the fundamental building blocks because you can say, hey, let's, you know, cr- let's make something that's recycled or recyclable or that, that's reusable or refillable or whatever it is. And, but what it takes to do that is really something. And so this is just one example. And then how do you do that in bringing in the global south and the, the, those uh, who, you know, in the in informal economy who, who, who have already been doing these things for decades and, and now or can be and should be part of this new thing we're calling the circular economy. So I, I love that that was a part of this event. You know, and one of the things that the, you know, places like the United States and the Global South have in common is that the work is local. Um, I, Keith Harrison from the Recycling Par- Partnership threw out the statistic that there's like 9,000 different, you know, agencies that are involved with, with programs. And every one of them has like a really unique need. Some pe- places are worried about paints and some places are worried about animal carcasses. That came up as, as, a, as a kind of an icky, you know, like image. Um, but I was really struck by um, some comments that uh, Kieran Smith made, um, the, the gentleman from Mr. Green Africa. He really focused on the need for large organizations to empower their local people on the ground to make decisions and, and to give them the authority to do things um, and to make, to make these decisions, not to sort of mandate what they had to do. Um, and so actually, I just I wanted to by way of queuing up a clip from the panel, um, you know, I just I thought his his comments on this and his insights, it actually drew a little round of applause. Um, but here's uh, Kieran Smith on how to encourage decisions um, at the local level. Um, well, so in the context of where we work in, we've been able to uh, had to, had the pleasure to work with Unilever on going through this journey of how to really engage uh, from collection to recycling to bring it back into a packaging. Um, and in the conversation, we were able to really draw out, there are many barriers and many execution barriers, but ultimately what it led to is, okay, A, can we collect the material, the resource, um, to bring it back into a high quality, recycling it into a high quality, and then bring it back into the packaging. And the root of how we were able to achieve, uh, and maybe I have to mention as well, we were able to achieve in, in East Africa, we were able to launch um, the first packaging in a home care application made out of 100% recycled material locally collected, locally recycled, locally made back into the packaging again. So full closed loop system. Um, and what is the root cause that enabled us to do that uh, within a short span of time? It's willingness from the leadership team, full, full commitment to really enable the various different teams, R&D, procurement, um, the local leaders of, 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 of the country who manage the country, all of them having the confidence to make decisions quickly and work with companies like Mr. Green Africa or the other um, companies that are in the same space. And that commitment from the top, going all the way down, trickling it down, enabling them to, to, to make these decisions and make it happen, that's, I think, one of the root uh, causes to really create that. Um, and we were able to launch this in 2020, so already two, two years ago, um, and now what it led to is other brand owners jumping on the same bandwagon and saying, it's possible, we want the same thing. Um, and I think you know, my main message here is really the top needs to give the, the local, the local um, teams 
um, and different different teams to make sure they collaborate with each other and give them the confidence to make decisions without misstep. Because usually, um, you know, members they don't want to put their head out and make the wrong decisions or work with the wrong partner, and that slows things down. And if we really want to be at the speed we want to be, um, that's something that is important to give this confidence and the sort of the the yeah the, the ability to make decisions. Yeah, well well said. Well, let's talk about John Warner. Uh, John Warner, uh, I've known him for years. He's uh, uh, actually one of the two sort of the co-fathers of green chemistry. He, he, no mothers? <laughs> no, no mothers yet. He, uh, he along with Paul Anastas, uh, wrote the, the early textbooks and have been doing the work uh, and really training the chemists and, and inspiring the students and, and consulting with the companies that are trying to you know get this right at the molecular level. I mean, how do you take create materials that can be, for lack of a more scientific word, unzipped back to the molecular level and turned back into uh, the, the same molecules for a whole new material or process and do that over and over. Um, and not to mention, how do you do that uh, and make it safe? This, uh, take out some of the nasties and, and some of the, the safe chemicals. So John Warner, uh, Warner Babcock Institute up in uh, out of Boston, and he's also a, uh, a fellow for uh, a synthetic biology company called Zymergen out in California, graced us with uh, not just his uh, presence on the main stage, but spent did an hour one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one with uh, John Schmea, who you just from whom you just heard, um, and uh, just so inspiring, uh, to, just because this is someone who has been thinking about chemistry in a very different way for a very long time and has so much experience in, in things that chemists never think about but should in the new circular world. Yeah, I loved this session too because, you know, we, th we and actually, interestingly enough, the buildings industry has been very focused on materials and the toxicity of the materials for for a while, right? And and has been talking about how that might affect your ability to reuse them. But you don't hear that conversation as deeply with other components of other other industry segments. You know, we, it. I don't know if it's because there aren't that many standards there yet, or we just haven't done the ingredient research. But um, the intersection between chemistry and circularity is fascinating to me and I really appreciated the presentation because it helped me sort of think about like the um, I forget what you what the term is that we use but you know the the unintended consequences you know and how you have to think through a decision and what's the ripple effect and um, our senior editor Elsa Wenzel who f is very fo does a lot of work on um, chemistry like a lot of her writing uh, tends that way she's very interested in the topic she did a story about the presentation um, and she t talks about the eyebrow wrinkling you know I mean as a, as a, as a person who who hasn't um, taken chem you know I actually was on the chem team in high school but haven't really thought about it since then I, I, I found myself really puzzling over and it was very thought-provoking one of the things I, I was also very struck by in terms of his presentation was um, how humble he is. Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, I, I was floored because he's got so much knowledge um, and I want to see more of it. Uh, and actually, you know, I, I'm sure you have some other thoughts. I have one big wrap up that I want to do on this, on this, this story, but before we do that, I want to go and see if you have any other comments. Okay, so what, so I think, I think for me, um, you know, 
we heard some of the things that we've heard before, seek answers in nature, biomimicry, you know, like that, that whole thing. Um, we've heard about from sort of a biological standpoint, this is a chemical standpoint um, now. But the thing that kind of gave me a pause um, towards, well, at the end of his presentation was how, um, you know, the fact that we, we, we need these things, we need this approach to, to turn to a regenerative circular economy but we're not educating our chemists to think this way. And I, I just, I just, I was really struck by that. The first time I, I met with uh, John Warner in his office uh, at, at, at Babcock, uh, Warner Babcock in Institute was the, the first hour he gave me a whole lecture on the history of teaching chemistry mm. with exactly that point uh, where part of the how we got to where we are in the single use and, and disposable society and all that is is because the way we've taught chemistry. And I think uh, he's been working, I know, with universities all over the world. I know he's a adjunct, I think, at a university in Australia. Um, on, on how do you change that? But that's a heavy, heavy lift. But you, you queued up a clip. so. Yeah, so just one final thought on that one is I, there's so many things, so many habits that we learn in high school and in college um, and teach in college that, um, you know, I think that's a, an overlooked opportunity for many in, the, in this industry. I, I believe that firmly. I mean, I, I go back to this example all the time. Autodesk made their name by going to all the universities and making that software part of the curriculum. And you cannot be a designer, an, uh, an architect without using that tool. And so, I mean, that's obviously self-promotional, but still, I mean, like if what you teach there, and so what we teach in college um, or university or trade schools, PS, um, is so important. But to cue up the clip that I, I it's, it's kind of a long one. It talks, um, because I wanted to, there's two components to it. One is him talking about the role of green chemistry and circularity. So that's part one, and then the, the whole issue of how you have to teach this. So here is John Warner. The way I look at this is a pendulum in which we have the human-built world going on the clockwise direction, the natural world going in the counterclockwise direction, and the intersection at the bottom is our measure of sustainability. And that what happens is we it'd be foolhardy to believe that there's no intersection, but we want to minimize that intersection to make that intersection as important. And here is where the problem is. I'm a, I'm a member of the Club of Rome. We think of systems all the time. And one of the things we got to realize is we've got to have humility when we look at systems. Because it's not the things we put on the map that's going to mess us up. It's the things we leave out. During recycling, there's leakage. And what happens is that leakage creates porosity at that intersection, and we lose a little sustainability. When we do the materials metabolism, there's leakage. We get more porosity and we lose a little more sustainability. When we do regeneration, there's more leakage. We lose a little more sustainability. No one in their maps usually puts these things. All right? Nope. And what do we do with leakage? That's an equal issue, or perhaps even a more important issue. So we have human behavior where we have to design our products to facilitate the adoption of behavioral changes. But we also have to have technology that creates materials and products that are actually in harmony and, compa and compatible with nature. It's not one or the other, it's actually both. And we need to learn to work not only the commercial people, not only the development people, not only the manufacturing people, not only the researching people, not only the recycling people, but as a community, we have to look at all of these approaches and start talking to us, each other, 
more often, okay? And what I love about the apex of this, I am a chemist, I'm a material scientist, I feel the opportunity for all of us is to look at how we can invent these materials to support an ecosystem where humanity adopts these behavioral changes, but does it in partnership not only with nature, but with technology. And so I, I, as John mentioned, the field of green chemistry is near and dear to my heart as how does the scientist, the day they stop beginning to invent something, anticipate these, down, these, these realities? And here's my last thought I want to leave you with. If you Google every chemistry program on the planet, every material science program in the planet, you will find not one university requires a chemist or a material scientist to learn anything about what we're talking about today. So we're asking to invent solutions to people who are not provided the skills. So let's get on with it. Let's collaborate, not only with industry and other things, but let's go to the universities and suggest, maybe you might want to change your curriculum. And that's what green chemistry is all about. Thank you. Well, let's get into, I think, what is one of the most fun parts of not just this event, but a lot of our events increasingly, which is uh, Accelerate, with a pitch competition that we have. Uh, it starts uh, online uh, months leading up to the event where uh, different entrepreneurs uh, send in a, a clip and some of that gets voted by the community and we pick some finalists. They they uh, appear on stage and then they come down to the final, final which we had uh, on uh, Wednesday, uh, here at Circularity 22, and um, just so, uh, uh, you know, the first one, I think we only had four or five, and the first one came up and it's like, uh, wow, I, I mean, no more calls, we have a winner, I love that one. And then the second came on, it's like, wow, that's even better. <laughs> and, and, and by the time we got to the one that actually won, um, so I, I was just, it's so much fun. Um, and uh, Heather, why don't you queue up and talk about the, the, uh, a little bit of the competition and, and ultimately about Sortile, the, the winner. Yeah, so we, we're not going to run a clip on this one, but I I actually still, my heart was still with number one that you, yeah, and I, and I actually I'll talk about them because I, I just thought, to your point, um, these were such good pitches. I mean, we are, the pitches at our, our, comp, our events, we, we do this, this accelerate uh, competition at Cir Circularity and also at Verge. And the quality of the ideas over the last few years has just become extraordinary. But the one that really struck me, um, which I actually am going to go and learn more about and probably write about, is a company called RE colon 3D. And um, they're, they're working on 3D printing and you're probably like, yeah, okay, 3D printing, whatever. Um, but the, the, their product, their, their technology called Gigabot um, is, first of all, it's in focus on industrial uses. Great, perfect, additive manufacturing. And it pr prints directly from plastic waste, which was the, like, you're like, what? I mean, yes. <laughs> Hello, yes, of course. Why would you put virgin resin into a printer if you could go and get, you know? So I think. Um, you know, I'd like to hear more and learn more about the quality of the materials and how, how they have to, um, you know, what work needs to be done there, because I'm sure that you can't, you can't just put a part of, you know, when you, you have to look at the components of the plastic waste and the durability and, and all of the different, you know, the toxicity of it and so forth. But that for me was like the most um, jaw dropping one. And then I, I was also very 
pleased to see one of our former 30 under 30, or, or not former, but our, our cohort, alumna, alumnist of the 30 under 30, Mesba Sabur, who's um, with a company called Circularize out of the Netherlands. Um, and they're working on a tracing mechanism uh, that helps a company like, well, actually they're working with Black & Decker. So it helps the brand understand exactly where the product, the the plastic and so forth is coming from. So they are, they're enabling traceability of um, materials that are coming back into the circular supply chain and allowing the, the company to see where they're coming from so that they can make claims that are more verifiable and accurate. Yeah. And I really loved uh, David Walker, who of uh, Star Walker Industries, uh, a local Atlanta-based company, which isn't—it was doing something that's maybe not revolutionary, but uh, providing uh, bottled water, but also created this incentive system to return the bottles and in a way to to do that in the local communities that would uh, you know create um, uh, entrepreneurs uh, doing that. And 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 uh, he's built uh, one water plant, and they've got four more planned uh, in in just the Atlanta area. Uh, a, a community-based solution that is highly, highly replicable um, in in both the uh, developed and developing world. So I, I love what he did. And um, again, you know, Circular Eyes, Star Walker Industries, uh, RE3D, those are the non-winners. The non-winners, <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, come on. Like, the, the, amazing. Um, and the the uh, the winner was Sortile I, um, out of Chile. And I actually believe... I, I don't know if this 100%, so I shouldn't say it necessarily, but I believe I know that they know El Gramo, which is a company we've also focused on, which is working on reusable um, container model in Chile. But just a, a, a actually fascinating uh, approach to to sorting um, clothing by fiber composition. So they're using um, near-infrared spectroscopy, NIRS, um, basically optical imaging to understand what's in a piece of clothing um, to help sorting, right? So we one of the issues with, with take back in the fashion industry is how do you sort the stuff and, and get them back to the fiber recyclers more efficiently. And so that was the absolute winner for the, the contest. Um, I believe, they, I think they're working with Goodwill, uh, or I, I thought I saw that somewhere, um, but they're, uh, they're working on these uh, this approach, and that was the one that was recognized. And this is sort of the other end from the informal economy, because you know, informal economy is good <laughs> with with picking out plastic bottles or aluminum or copper or other things from a landfill. But ultimately, you get to things like textile, which are huge, huge parts of of any landfill these days. And how do you sort out the polyester from the cotton, from the wool, from the other blends, and and you know, using these uh, optical imaging technologies uh, like infrared spectro. Spectro Talk spec I said it right. Spectroscopy. Said? Spectroscopy. Wow, that's a tongue twister. And maybe it's just because uh, we're all still we're so exhausted from this week. So um, uh, tongue will catch up by the next episode of Green Biz 350. Uh, but you know, we need these technologies. We need the the humans uh, who are doing the sorting. And, and it's really all part of the system that makes circularity. Well, one last thing I want to talk about is our good friend, Suzanne Shelton. Suzanne is, uh, runs uh, the Shelton Group down in Knoxville, Tennessee, and is really the go-to sustainability marketing and comms firm, um, uh, just uh, and, and a regular at Green Biz, a regular because 
her presentations are so good and they're always custom different uh, to that particular event unlike folks who shall remain nameless who get up and do the same speech regardless of the topic but Suzanne is just a pro and she did uh, a presentation that left some people you know gasping a little bit or gaping at, uh, I don't know what the word is here but uh, uh, because of uh, just sort of looking at how we've, uh, so the messaging that has gotten us to where we are in this, uh, this you know, take, make, waste, linear economy uh, and, and how that needs to change. And at one point she showed uh, some of the, uh, well, there's the classic Life magazine from 1955 where they had the people throwing up, uh, throwing, tossing in the air the uh, all the disposables. This is the new yeah. exciting way of life. The uh, throwaway culture. The throwaway society culture. I actually have the original issue of Life from that, uh, from that with that uh, article in it, um, and and there's one one image that came from Dupont that said uh, that the best things in life come wrapped in cellophane, and it has a stork holding a cellophane bag with a baby in it, and it's like. Oh my God, that's in in you know so in, many levels in, of wrong. in 2022. That is just uh, so many levels of wrong, but that's how we came. It's you know Dupont was also the better living through chemistry uh, tagline people, and 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 so some of those things that got us uh, to where we are. And and how do we change that? But um, I know you got a, a clip uh, from from her presentation. But yeah, talk a little bit about what you saw there. Yeah, so I think the thing that really struck me from her presentation was how we, we collectively, the, the business community, and particularly the advertising community, have basically made this context of, you know, of, a, of the waste of the throwaway culture. And then, of course, oh, the solution is recycling. You know, like we have convinced people that this is this, this, this thing to do, right? We are the ones that have said recycling is the answer, and we know it's not. Yeah. Um, so I think... The clip that I want to play for you is from sort of toward the tail end of her of her presentation, where she talks about how we need to shift the context, how we got here, how we got to this place. Um, she references, of course, the baby image in in the middle of the of her comment, and then um, you know that's how where she ends. So here here you'll hear more about the disturbing baby wrapped in cellophane. Um, and Suzanne Shelton, thank you for for getting really provoked and and. Uh, a gasp during the during the very initial part of circularity. So over the last 80 years, we've gone from use it up, wear it out, to buy whatever you want and throw it away, to don't be a litter bug, to reduce, reuse, and recycle, finally to recycle. So now it's time to change that. It's time to come full circle and get back to use it up and wear it out. The discomfort that our friends and neighbors are beginning to feel about their contribution to the waste problem is not unlike the discomfort that y'all all expressed when you saw this, right? That, it's uncomfortable. And y'all messaging, behaviors, system change, all of that is about context. And much like the context of the 1950s and 60s made these messages totally okay, but really painful now, that's the context that's shifting in America. The context is shifting such that people are beginning to feel uncomfortable participating in a single-use, fast fashion, unfettered consumption economy. We don't want to do it anymore. So the brands that figure out how to figure out or how to roll out and engage people in circular systems, those are the brands that are going to succeed. The brands that give people a new hall pass, that give people a way to go, look, I bought this, it's refillable. Look, it's reusable. That's the new virtue signal. The brands that figure that out are the brands that are gonna win. Conversely, 
the brands that continue our linear economy, those are the brands that consumers are going to start to back away from, like, I don't want to be associated with you. Those are the brands that people are going to increasingly see as distasteful, like as distasteful as a baby wrapped in plastic. So if you don't remember anything else from my talk, remember, don't let your brand be a baby wrapped in plastic. Have a great conference. Back in 2009, the Sustainability Consortium, otherwise known as TSC, convenes manufacturers, retailers, suppliers, NGOs, and other stakeholders focused on building more sustainable business practices in the consumer goods industry. In mid-April, the nonprofit named longtime executive and biologist Christy Slay officially as its CEO. Slay, who has been focused on TSC's science and impact work, has been interim CEO since last October. She joins me on GreenBiz 350 to talk about her new role. Hello, Christy. Hi, Heather. It's great to have you here. Great to be here. <laughs> so I know you've only officially had your title for a few weeks, but you have had six months to assess the role. So let's start with your vision. What is your priority for the next 12 months? Great question. Well, since I've been interim CEO since since October, um, but I've been at the Sustainability Consortium for 12 years, and so it's been a long part of my career to date. And um, with that background, it's been a, a really smooth transition to uh, be able to create changes and programs and restructure um, going forward. And so um, I've been with TSC, as I said, since 2009, since the beginning, um, Walmart's original investment uh, to launch the Sustainability Consortium. I've helped to build our program, particularly our measurement and reporting program um, from the bottom up. And it's such an honor uh, to be able to work with the incredible team at TSC uh, to lead us forward into the future. And especially because we have an executive leadership team made of women. And so I'm mm. very um, so in the next 12 months, um, really focusing on scale. And so with the pressing issues at hand, with the reports uh, that are coming out about the urgency related to climate change, we are really trying to scale TSE's impact. Um, the time has passed for testing and pilots and small scale interventions. Uh, we are really pushing ourselves and our members to find ways to scale our impact and to meet uh, our members and companies and our partners wherever they're at on their sustainability journey. So we have over 13 retailers um, that we currently work with, and we have some of the world's largest uh, consumer goods companies as well as NGOs. And we have really strengthened our relationships with them over time. And mm -hmm. Um, in my transition, really working with them uh, to adapt the work that we've done in new ways to meet their needs. And so as the world is changing, TSC is changing. And um, we are really trying to support more urgently our companies to meet and exceed their sustainability goals. And so working with our partners and, and NGOs, um, really working to make sure that we are scaling with a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. And um, and that is really in the next year, 
um, at a high level where the sustainability consortium is going. So you hinted at changes. Are, are there any in particular that you want to address? Anything that you can address at this time? Sure. So we have really evaluated the tremendous resources that we have built over the last 12 years. And we've come to the realization that they're underutilized. <laughs> we are, we have one of the largest repositories of sustainability information around consumer goods on the planet. And so we are focusing on creating new tools and new resources from this existing work that can better help support companies um, with their, their goals and also highlight um, areas where there's, there's improvement that needs to be needed, that's, that needs to be made and, and be made pretty quickly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there, you know, you mentioned the big companies that are part of your organization, uh, although we didn't name names yet. Um, there are many exciting new consumer products companies that are pioneering very important approaches. Um, that ones that embrace sustainability, like from the get go, from the beginning, and one that jumps to my mind is Allbirds. You know, just as an example. So, what role might pioneers of this nature play in TSC's future? We have always seen innovative companies as leaders, uh, even though they may not have been members of the sustainability consortium. Um, those companies that are really have sustainability built into their ethos, you know, their companies are founded on sustainability. They're the ones that are really out there meeting consumer needs, pushing the industry, developing new technologies. And we really lean on those sometimes smaller companies to to keep that fire lit um, with some of our bigger companies who are maybe a little more traditional um, and really get out ahead and and help to create some new solutions that are needed. And so, you know, recognizing that that one company alone and certainly a small company can't drive change at scale, they, that halo effect and that impact that a small company can have is, is uh, not to be underestimated. At TSC, we have um, just in the last couple of years created a, um, a channel and a, a membership avenue for small and medium-sized companies, and we're hoping to scale that in the next year so that we can engage, especially those innovative companies and bring them together with, um, with some of our larger companies um, mm-hmm. who are also innovative in their own ways mm-hmm. and bring that together and kind of harness that energy. And so um, it's really exciting to see a lot of the activities that smaller companies um, are, are driving in uh, the consumer goods space and also just the, the interest consumers have around more sustainable products. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's related that, to that. I mean, smaller companies you mentioned, um, and we know that that work on scope three emissions is particularly challenging, but it's also vitally important. Like it, we have to do this. Um, so what new initiatives can we expect from TSC in that area? This is probably the foundation of your work, but you know, how are you ramping it up? I think it's such a great question because I think a DSC um, is not always synonymous with scope three, but we are <laughs> almost our entire body of work is focused on scope three and deep supply chain impacts. And so 
we have metrics and tools that capture uh, scope three emissions deep in the supply chain. And so we have years of data already uh, that consumer goods companies have been reporting through our system to retailers. And so right now we're really evaluating that and seeing um, are there tweaks and changes that we need to make uh, to ensure that we're collecting the right measurements and that we're meeting um, the needs of, of companies who are using our tools um, in, in better align with their ability to use TSC to report against science-based targets and, um, and those goals that they're setting. And so we're really excited about it. Um, it's always a little funny when you've been doing something for a long time and you realize you haven't really marketed yourself, <laughs> you know, in the way that, um, that you could have. And so we're excited to, to really get into this space more clearly um, because uh, the sustainability consortium, we've been doing this for years and it's just kind of part of, part of what we do. Um, and now with, with the incredible energy and focus on science-based targets and scope three emissions, um, we're really well positioned to be able to, to help support our member company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another activity that we have, which is new for us and also very exciting, is we have, we're launching our first impact fund. And so we'll be announcing mm. that very soon. Um, it's called the Resilient Agriculture Accelerator Fund. And so we partnered with the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. And this is really our first impact fund to help connect companies with um, partners, as well as additional funding uh, through federal and state and local programs to help drive impact on the ground in farm, U.S. farm supply chains. And so TSC is not a farmer facing organization, nor will we ever be, but we have created a wonderful partnership to be able to reach and impact um, U.S. agriculture. And so as part of that, as related to scope three, um, that includes um, um, supporting farmers as they transition to more regenerative practices and conservation oriented practices and help to scale that in the U.S. So we're really excited about our impact fund. Oh, that sounds great. Looking forward to hearing more when it, it gets launched. Um, you know, a, a sort of a, a very different topic, but maybe not. Um, regenerative is kind of related to circular. So how is TSC weaving circular economy principles into its work? Certainly. And so we have, um, we have been working on a variety of circularity uh, focused projects for a long time. And so um, originally we started off um, with a, a consortium that was focused on lead acid batteries and how do you recycle um, lead acid batteries. And then we've also had projects related to clothing and recycled content and clothing as also, as well as packaging. And so right now our current initiative um, that is closely related to circular economy is tackling small format packaging. And so this is one of those topics that nobody has, um, has found a solution because it's hard. Small format are things like lip balms and, um, and makeup compacts and mm -hmm. travel shampoos, those little things that fall through the cracks, literally, and end up as waste and litter and pollution. And so we've launched um, a task force with a variety of stakeholders, including Procter & Gamble, Burt's Bees, Colgate-Palmolive, GSK, 
uh, to partner on research to really understand how we can capture and collect those things out of the waste stream and bring them back um, into product life cycles. So we're really excited about that work. Um, we've always captured within our metrics, within our, our, um, our thesis platform, uh, different aspects of circularity. And so with our textiles um, assessments, so for clothing, footwear, we have, we have key performance indicators that are focused on uh, recycled content, um, as well as paper goods, um, you know, utilizing recycled content and packaging. And so in, in all of our work, there are elements of circularity where we're asking about um, circularity in a variety of different supply chains and, and measuring progress on that, the companies that we work with. One final question for you. What are TSC's future expectations of corporations and how can more become involved with its work? Back to my original point, it's really about scale and scaling fast and moving fast and moving beyond pilots. And so our expectations are that um, are for partnership and continued partnership. We have incredible partnerships with our members and our and our universities and our, our NGO communities, but really ramping up those partnerships to drive impact at scale. Um, our expectation is that that companies, and it really has to come from the top, like CEO level, we need business transformation to meet the goals that, that we have to meet as a, as, a, as a global community. And so as science-based targets move forward, as commitments are made, um, I think you know, TSC at the beginning, our, our mission, our goal, our theory of change was that companies would make purchasing decisions, decisions around what they put on their shelf based on data. And we've just not really seen that happen at scale. We need that to happen. And so our expectation is, is that that data and that information will be used to make important business decisions um, and not just pass it on to the consumer to figure it out, um, whether that's through labels or product level initiatives, that is all great, but that is not going to drive change at scale that's needed. It really requires business transformation. So I would say that's my hope um, that that's that that is um, that that is coming because that's really what the world needs. Well, thank you. I hope so too. Thanks, Christy, for uh, sharing some of your initial thoughts. Appreciate it. Thank you. Heather. You just heard from Christy Slay, the new CEO of the Sustainability Consortium. That's our 350 podcast for this week. As always, go to greenbiz.com slash 350 to find more about the organization stories and events we mentioned this week. While you're over there, check out our free weekly newsletters. There's seven of them, and they're a great way to stay up to date all week long. That includes Circularity Weekly that comes out fresh every Friday. Just go to greenbiz.com slash newsletters to sign up. We love to hear your comments, questions, and tips. Our address, as always, is 350 at greenbiz.com. Heather and I will be taking a week off, but we'll be back on June 3rd with another edition of Green Biz 350. Until then, from all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you.